Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We at Pack Your Nice love to draft so much so that we decided to draft Top Chef contestants live on the podcast. Drafting is the best. And if you're into fantasy sports, I got a stat for you. Did you know that your chances of winning on draft are 80% better than on salary cap sites? That's why Draft is my favorite fantasy site. No more getting crushed by the pros. And it's not just me. More than 1 million people that have already downloaded Draft 2. Play in a real live NBA draft right now and be done in under five minutes. Get paid out the very next day. Drafts are filling every second, so you can join one whenever you want. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. But make sure to use my promo code HEALTHY, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y, HEALTHY. That's right, play in a real money draft for free just by using my promo code HEALTHY. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering Pack Your Knives listeners a money-back guarantee of up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and play free right now with promo code HEALTHY. It's Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haverstrow. And we are joined for today's recap and analysis by 
a key contestant on season 15, Tyler Anderson, chef owner of Millwrights in Simsbury, Connecticut, chef owner of The Cook and Bear, where I had a delightful dinner two weeks ago in West Hartford, Connecticut. Tyler, this is a wonderful surprise. Hey, guys. How are you? Pleasure to be on. Hey, you forgot one, Kevin. I'm, I'm going to correct you. You forgot one little title here is the number one overall pick of the Pack Your Knives inaugural draft. Oh, the top draft pick. Yes. Yes. And Julia Child avatar on Skype that I'm staring at right now. I put that up for you guys. I thought you'd like that. <laughs> this is wonderful. Wait, all right. So before we start, we have it's a great episode to recap. Give us full context of that photo. So, so for our listeners, and if you watch the show, you, you, you saw that they cut to this photo from your childhood of you basically dressed as Julia Child holding uh, kind of in action, holding a tray of food or, or, or prepping. Uh, what's the full context for this? I mean, the full context is pretty simple. I was I was 10 years old. It was Halloween and I wanted to be Julia Child. Most boys were G.I. Joe. I was Julia. Uh, so, yeah. Well, in this gender fluid world, we thank you. That was that was a wonderfully <laughs> brave gesture as a child. Um, so typically, Tyler, we kind of just, you know, go right into the recap. I mean, what do we need but right. before we do that? So this was the episode um, that, that started with the with the elimination quick fire uh, that went into the double elimination with the cooking and the omelet, which you didn't you fortunately didn't have to participate in. And then ultimately the food truck challenge. Um, what additional background uh, or, or, or fun bits can you give us to kind of inform this entire episode? Well, I mean, there aren't very many fun bits. Can I say bad words on this show? Is oh, absolutely. Right? Yes. We encourage okay. it. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, I've listened to everyone, so I should have known that already. Um, so, quick fires fucking suck. You know, uh, you know, you walk into the you walk into the Top Chef kitchen, and it's always like your your heart is pounding out of your chest every time, and you see Padma, you know it's quick fire. I hate quick fires, you know, I just don't like them. And then you hear it's quick fire elimination, and it, you know, multiplies all that by fifteen. So nobody's having any fun, you know. It's not a it's not a fun environment at that point. Um, what I mean is it just the sheer stress of the clock, or is there something other that, that is something else about quick fires that are just onerous and terrible? I mean, the deal with the quick fire is that you can like it. It truly doesn't matter how good you are. You can you can like screw something up that is so small that will just put you at the bottom of a quick fire. So, at least elimination challenges, you have more time to think them out. You have more time to execute them. You know, you have all these things, whereas one little tiny thing, like say your, you know, your oven isn't set to the right temperature, you're the best cook in the competition, you're going home, you know, on an elimination quick fire. Well, Kevin has a theory that, um, well, I don't know if it's a theory, Kevin, but this idea that you could be the greatest chef in the world and you could suck at quick fires, which is kind of counterintuitive on a chef elimination show or a, a competitive chef show that you have something in there that seems very um not like just not really required of I, of a chef you know to be at the top of the game it's almost like having an nba finals and oh by the way um we're raising the hoops like 15 to 15 feet instead right, right. i mean you know the entire contest the entire contest is i mean it's a great gauge of who is good at cooking uh but ultimately like it's a completely different game you know you guys do basketball so it's like the difference between, you know, playing street ball in Venice 
a beach or like you know playing in the NBA. Yeah, right. Or or just having like. Haruki Murakami or one of the greatest living novelists to say, okay, you have four minutes to write 500 words. Go. <laughs> like, and right, produce exactly. a masterpiece and it's very possible that the AP writer, you know, who covers news in, in Chicago could, could outdo the greatest novelist alive in, in exactly. four minutes. And so, I would, you know, honestly, I would put, you know, say whoever I think is the best chef in America. Say I put Thomas Keller, who's obviously one of the best chefs in America, against Michael Voltaggio, who's probably one of the best top chefs of all time, into top chef, Michael Voltaggio is going to beat Thomas Keller. But is Michael Voltaggio the better chef? No. You know, Thomas Keller's the better chef. Um, so. it, you know, we, I, we asked this, um, you know, one of the questions I had is, especially given your pedigree and the recognition you've always gotten, and this is uh, something Tom and I have been discussing, is, I mean, first and foremost, why do this? Right, like you've got a a beard nominated restaurant. You you just opened your second place. I mean, I, actually, the sequence might be off there. Um, I don't know if you opened Cook and Bear before or after the show, but in any event, like, why subject yourselves to five guys in a room, like bunking the the absolute torture <laughs> that is being a contestant on reality? I mean, I, I don't think people realize just how miserable your existence is as a contestant on a reality show. You're essentially in jail. Uh, wh- why why did you do this? You didn't need it. <laughs> Uh, great question. He wanted to be on this pod. That's it. <laughs> yeah. It was, you know, it's, I'm in a small market, obviously. I'm in, you know, the greater Hartford area of Connecticut, Simsbury. Uh, and there aren't a lot of small market chefs that are represented in it. So I sort of wanted to go in and represent the small market chef and, and, you know, be like, Hey, there are people cooking outside of the large metropolitan areas that are, throwing down you know to the ability of those in the in those areas um and you know it's it's great exposure honestly it's huge exposure and uh it gives me a a more national presence you know i have a i have a concept cooking the bear that i want to grow outside of this state Mm -hmm. so you know it it helps with that and you know you you say it's miserable and you're you're obviously very familiar with how reality shows are it is like being in prison, but it's like being in a very, very, very nice prison. So, yeah. like one of those white so the, collar prisons with a golf course. Yeah, the Martha Stewart yeah. went. Yeah, um, it's not quite to the level of being like you know, like a drug czar who builds his own jail and then gets to stay in it. But it's like it's pretty close to that. Right. So, um, we're going to continue this conversation over the course of the review of reviewing the actual episode, which seems like a good thing to do. And let's interject. Here and there. So you guys, as you said, there's this elimination challenge. Padma springs it on you that, oh, by the way, this is an elimination challenge. And uh, and then you guys just have to go with this Denver omelet uh, reinterpretation. Uh, by the way, these are my favorite kind of, of challenges where because I, I am a big deconstructed thing. Like I, I love the idea that we're now going to be treated to 13 completely different interpretations of one of the kind of most basic items on a Denny's menu. Um, so it was, uh, I, these, this is my, because the canvas is small enough that everybody sort of has to conform, but you can kind of just completely blue sky it once you have those five ingredients. Um, remind us what you did. So I did, I basically took a, I took a ring of an onion, like a raw onion ring, and I made a tart uh, out of egg, like inside, like a basically a little quiche inside the onion ring, which they didn't talk about on the show, but you know, they cut for time. I mean, that was no, uh, there's certain, like, like there's certain players who just, I guess they can't get to 14 of you guys and they just kind of, yeah, they're not you gonna, sit that one out. 
Yeah. I mean, if you're if you end up in the middle, usually your dish isn't described that much. If you've noticed, uh, for good reason, you know. In the and NBA, this is called the the wheel of mediocrity, yeah, the, the treadmill of mediocrity. Just, right. You're the yeah, Charlotte. You're just in the middle. You are the Charlotte Hornets <laughs> of the Denver omelet competition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I love my dish for it. You know, like, you know, when you cook like shit and you know, when you do pretty well, and I thought I did really well on this one. Uh, but you know, I ended up in the middle and then I made like a, a like basically, you know, in quotes, a little like ravioli where the ham was the skin of the, of the pasta and the egg was the filling. Ooh, that's very nice. Um, brother luck wins it with smoked eggs and kind of a Japanese breakfast concept which uh, I, I thought was... I didn't even know you could smoke eggs. I guess you can smoke anything. Yeah, I mean, you can smoke anything. I don't know how you smoke eggs in 30 minutes, but he did it. So that's another thing, and I, to, to the extent you're able to talk. Um, I, I'm always overwhelmed by, like, the complexity of these dishes in 25 minutes. Or is, is there, do you literally start from scratch, or are you allowed to have your prep materials? Like, it, to the extent you need to... Or is is it? I mean, literally, is it like the show where you're just completely? I mean, go and twenty minutes later, it's on a plate. Yes, oh, it's it's that's unbelievable. Exactly, it's it's exactly as you see on TV. That's unbelievable. Like yeah. I, just the sheer complexity of it. I I, I can't even. It, it's it's incredible. Um, so uh, and then then we had the bottom three. I mean, Tom, what happened? We had with Tanya, Rogelio, and Laura. Uh, yeah, yeah. here's here's I just got to ask, Tyler, were you as were you as just was the tension that high watching Laura in the moment or was it only until afterwards that you felt just how uh, just soul crushing that experience for Laura was? I think she she couldn't find a pan. She had to wash it for the for the elimination quick fire. She was shaking. Wait, we're talking was, about the omelet, the second stage here. Yeah, well, just the whole the whole thing. I think the whole quick fire experience. She got went went into the elimination, obviously, for the quick fire. But it seemed like she just was off that day. Yeah, I mean, it was it was maybe even more tense than what how it came across on TV. Really? Because, yeah, because you know, like when so when we're cooking, like I mean, when I'm cooking, I can I guess I can only speak for myself. It's like. I don't see anybody else. I don't give a shit what any other contestants doing. I am not paying attention. I can't hear anything. I can't see anything. I don't want Tom talking to me, you know, leave me the fuck alone and let me cook. But, you know, as soon as that was over, then we're observing them, you know, making these omelets. And it it was, you know, it was, it was very difficult to watch, especially when you know that somebody is a very talented cook and, and the situation is just not working out for them at all. So Tyler, just, just to review, the omelet is among the most classical, beginning chef school uh tasks around right like it's a very and, and I've, i remember first getting my first joy of cooking book right and and the way that like an omelet is so precise it is the ultimate chemistry experiment for a beginner chef right like there's you like you can't really you, you can't make any reinterpretations it is a it's it's very specific it has to be a certain amount of fluffiness as everybody said on the show you can't brown it it is the ultimate it, i guess it would be kind of like taking a basic grammar test for somebody who's a writer or something. I mean, it is, it, but it, it's, it's, it's very basic, but it's also very precise, right? Like technique, it's the ultimate test of basic technique. Right. It's, you know, it's basically difficult is what we say. Right. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of us have, have made hundreds or thousands of these things, but when you're on top chef, it like, it, it makes you second guess the things, you know, 
So you're thinking like Tom is telling you make a basic French omelet and you're like, this is top chef. They can't actually make, want me to just make a, like a basic French omelet. There has to be something else to it. And I think that's what happens. You start reading into like, what do the judges want out of this competition? And you overthink things. And I think all three of them overthought it, you know, which I do the entire competition is I overthink the shit out of everything. Do you have do's and don'ts? Like, like what are, what's a, all right, you're in that Denver omelet situation. I mean, the parameters have been given to you. I mean, are there general rules like, I mean, the old, hey, don't do risotto, uh, which is sort of a top chef uh, uh, rule that's been adopted by players over the years. Like, what are, what are some of your do's and don'ts if I were going on to be a contestant tomorrow and I needed your, you know, your, your primer for how to fail or succeed at a quick fire? At a quick fire? Yeah. Specifically? Yeah. Um, don't ever do fish and cheese. uh don't be a slob you know try to keep it as tight as you can yeah and you know aside from that like if you can pull it off like you know i think i think risotto could work the only thing is is you have to remember that these judges have to walk around and taste every one of these fucking dishes so it's like it takes them for it can take them forever to do it you know they're they they you know put a lot of consideration into the, what they're doing and so by the time you get around to something like risotto you know it's sort of lost its luster you know if it's been sitting mm. there for 20 minutes oh, so, so don't do anything don't do anything that's going to that could possibly sit there for a while and be compromised that's interesting so it, it, it if you you have to prepare that dish with the understanding that it might it might sit on the plate for 25 minutes exactly oh see that that's that's an interesting yeah. little hack didn't know that one um, it got it just it was I, I found the Lara scene so heartbreaking because I mean, first of all, it just reinforced something that I've come to understand, which is cooking is so fucking hard, like cooking <laughs> precisely is so hard. It is the chemistry is so unyielding, like you just cannot fake cooking the way you can fake writing, the way you can fake a lot of things like cooking. There's I mean, a tangible product. that Exactly. Like, you can't fake that. And when when the when the the omelet is just bleeding out and she's pouring it into a trash bin and Padma, you can probably, I'm guessing you can hear everything that Padma says as you're cooking in the cook fire. Yeah. Yeah. You can, I mean, you can hear like while you're cooking, you know, like I said, while I'm cooking, I, you're in the zone. I, I, um, I tone it out, yeah. but tune it out. But it's like, I can, I can hear all the comments about the omelets for sure. Yeah. What is that thing? And, I and think like was, it, was the comment, was it not? <laughs> What is she yeah, doing? I heard that. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, I heard that. And a lot of us, you know, we, you know, we were we were hoping it all came together for her because you know, like a huge. I mean, the major part of an omelet is the pan, and if you don't have if you don't have the pan, you're like, you know, you're up shit creek. You're you're. It's like it's tough. Right. Which is, I'm I'm, I'm assuming that one of the the reasons the pl- the proliferation of the scramble at a restaurant in the last 20 years is basically a bunch of stuff saying, oh, fuck omelets. I don't want to deal with a goddamn omelet. Like, it's, just, it's all eggs. It's just eggs and toppings. Just throw it in a fucking pan. Who needs an omelet? Just a yeah. scramble. We'll call it a scramble. And it'll feel like brunch. Scrambled eggs are omelet American. Exactly. <laughs> I make it. I make a, an omelet every single morning. I do. I char the kale. I saute. The, so I'm an amateur chef here. So I saute the yeah. kale, and so it gets a little bit of a char. And then I throw in um, some mushrooms because that they take a little longer to cook. And then I just throw in some tomatoes right at the very end. I crack three eggs. I 
I whip them up and then I throw it in and I do the whole like tucking the the um, the spatula, just like, you know, pushing a l- little bit of the egg out and then it kind of seeps through, turn it and good. Nine out of ten times, I feel like I have a pretty damn good omelet, but I don't have Padma watching me or Tom asking me questions offhand, and I don't have cameras, and I don't think that I'm national TV. If all these contestants did those dishes without that environment, you'd assume that it's just a whole lot easier. They can do it, but once you throw in the the competition aspect and the cameras and the commentary, it just throws everyone off. Yeah, absolutely. Tyler, before we go, give us your power rankings. Your top three eggs, like three best egg preparations, Ooh. like in the world, just 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 uh, whatever it is, like your your top the best three ways to prepare eggs, just in the world, in the world, like like by like chef dishes. I've had no no or? no, like like the omelet versus the soft boil versus the quiche versus the smoke versus the just in terms of sheer preparation. Uh, you like, like how are you saying like? ones I prefer, how I prefer my Yeah, eggs. this is you. This is all about you. This is not a, this okay, is a subjective oh, I love examination. Um, I love poached eggs. So I think they're, I yeah. think they're the quintessential sauce. You know, it's like a packet of sauce you can put on something. Yes, it is. Uh, so I love that. Um, it is nature's uh, condiment. It is beautiful. It is. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of hard boiled eggs, like as a whole, but I love them like grated up. So like sauce grabiche is one of my favorite things. Um, and just that flavor of, you know, just like enough of the skunky, funky egg, hard boiled egg flavor in with like tarragon and lemon juice and capers and pickles is delicious. Uh, I love that preparation of eggs. And then like, you know, like sunny side up on a piece of toast is like, there's nothing wrong with that either. Again, it's the sauce packet. Yeah. I love yolk. Yolk is good. <laughs> I love yolk too. All right, so would it, it go down the would it go down the chin, Kevin? <laughs> it would go down. Uh, I'm a really me- as you know, I'm a very messy eater, Tom. Like I, I keep a very clean house, but I'm a very messy eater. So, so we get to the elimination challenge, uh, and uh, this is ooh, ooh. let me let me hit oh, pause no, go, here. Go, go, and, go, please. Yeah, someone hit me up on Twitter, and um, Tyler, you're you have like two experiences. You one lived this Top Chef experience. You're actually competing, and then there's this other experience, which is you're watching the show, and it might be two totally different interpretations of the same event. And this person on Twitter asked us, uh, J House Twenty Two, any stats on the number of contestants eliminated when the show starts with them making a phone call to their kids and or talking about how much they miss their family. Got to be high elimination rate. I don't have the actual stats on that. Um, I, I think that would be a good off-season project, Kevin, is to just run through like the production motifs or the production tendencies of when get when people get eliminated from the show. But Laura opening up immediately as soon as the the show opened up with Laura, um, you know, calling her son or FaceTiming with her son and and getting brought to tears and saying how her son coached her up to come on the show. My heart sunk. That was it. I mean, we, that was it. We, we talked about it a couple episodes ago about how bios, like when they do a Claudette bio just about her upbringing, it was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. That, that, that made me feel like Laura was, was going to go with that opening. Did, they, did you feel the same thing, Kevin? Yeah, it's, it's always a kind of a, a, a mind fuck to figure out, okay, are they giving us 
are they are they zeroing in the, on this character because they're going to be eliminated? Um, because this is their final send off? Because they're the point of friction for the episode? Or hey, they want us to be vested in this person for a very long time? And yeah. you know, so there's always there's always a little bit of a of a mind fuck on just exactly why are we get like why didn't we get a lot of Tyler in the first thirty minutes? Oh shit, is is he in trouble? Uh, oh, yeah. it's like ah, he's going to live with us for several more weeks. You know, like that, that is sort of a a, a constant. Uh, just kind of Tyler, do, checking yourself. Do you do you um, do you look forward to seeing how they cut up and prepare the dish of the episode, or are you just like, you know what, it's it's hard watching myself. This is really like nails on a chalkboard. Um, kind of both. I mean, I get you're you're always like a I'm a little nervous. I'm a jackass, you know, like through and through. So <laughs> you know, and they have they have so many hours of interviews with me, so they have the ability to spin me like in whatever way they can. So it's always a little nerve wracking. You know, I was, I was, they didn't have like an openly gay character. So last episode, they made me, certainly made me the gay character of the show. Um, you know, which didn't bother me one bit, but you're, I was worried they'd make me look like an asshole, which I'm not, but you're always a little worried with about how they spin you. But honestly, like they stay very true to everybody's personality. So if you're, if you say something shitty, you know, it's going to come off, if you, but they don't like, they don't weave characters, you know, they, they stay pretty, they seem to have stayed pretty true to like who people are. So the only thing that like made me nervous was that I, I don't really like watching it, honestly, like in public, like last night, I, my fiance drugged me out to the restaurant to watch it. And I hate that. I feel like I'm having a birthday party for myself or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd rather watch it at home, like where I can hear it and like focus on it, you know? So a little of both, I guess. No, no, yeah. it, it's the sports fan, and there are many of us out there that when your team's playing truly in a huge game, rather than gather at a, ga- a party, you want it to be alone in your house watching the game. That's all, uh, yeah, that's that's how I was with, like, Braves games during their kind of 90s runs, is everybody would want to get together. I'm like, no, 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 I, I need to be alone with the game. My time, yeah. So what do we need to know about this challenge, the food truck challenge? Anything, give us some backstory that, that obviously doesn't make it into the – to the episode um first of all what is the drawing of knives ceremony like because obviously there, there were going to be four teams each of you drew a knife is it a little bit like when you're in like third grade and they you do something like that and you look over and like yeah now i have to be with sam i feel like it's bullshit when when joe when joe says like hey i would have made this team my i would these were this would have been my teammates my picks for my team bullshit you're just trying to be nice like no no, no one gets the team no. that they want probably not bullshit with that team honestly that was a good you know, team there's a few combos I would put together, you know, but they're like, there are combos that are going to work perfectly for certain situations. And for a food truck situation, that was a really ideal combo. Well, tell me why. So why do you like, because that was your team. Mustache Joe, you and Fatima. I, first of all, I love that team. I've got, you know, I, I, I've got Fatima. You guys are, you're clearly top yeah. of the heap. What, what about that comedy? Tell me what, what is it about that challenge and these other two people that was perfect for you? Well, beard end, you don't right, want to be with the, the entire beard end in a food check. Right, that's type of like, must ask Joe's a little bit of a strong personality. He was a little bit of a dick in, in previous episodes. I mean, not in a, again, in a 20-something male sort of way, but not not terrible. But why why, why those two for this thing? I mean, Mustache Joe is only a dick if you let him be a dick. You know, like, he's 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 not a dick. But if, if, if you need somebody to take charge, he'll know that he needs to take charge. You know, and that's. You know, sometimes the situation necessitates that. In this case, he didn't have to. None of us really had to. But, yeah, I guess, I guess first and foremost, I was glad I wasn't with a bunch of bears because then it would have been like a bear sauna in, in the food truck. 
Um, and, you know, we had a great face in Fatima, uh, somebody who could, you know, be there and be at the window and be selling all that, you know, be selling the stuff and, you know, be, be that face while, you know, Joe and I handled a lot of the heavy lifting, like as far as the cooking went, um, all three amazing cooks, you know, and, and kind of two people I hadn't really gotten the opportunity to work with yet in the show. So love that opportunity. Um, but it's just like a good flow. Our styles work together. We melded on a menu. We made a cohesive menu. So instead of, instead of deciding to be like, oh, we're going to do tacos or sandwiches or whatever, we sort of wanted to make a progressive menu that started with, you know, something pretty light, like a tomato soup, went to something a little more heavy, I guess, like a chicken wing, and then ended with dessert. Because we knew everybody was going to be eating all three. Yeah, that was always an interesting debate, and, and you know, Chris went the other way when, with the sandwich team. With the uh, yeah, uh, it was funny because my orderliness kind of veered toward them on that. Like, yeah, you know what? You're all using the same good bread. And you're putting different things. It's a sandwich truck, and I was well, a little skeptical of the progressive, but you guys kind of proved me wrong. Tom had the well, question: Is is it food or service that you care about? And I was like, well, actually, wouldn't having a consistent prep help you with the food product? Like. It make it would make things way more efficient in my mind and save more time to get the plating, to get the cooking right of your dish. And I was like, that didn't seem like mutually exclusive that are you about the service or the food? Right. Tom and I clearly think the same way. You and me. We're, we're both systems yeah. freaks. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, it has to be a balance of both. But this is Top Chef. So it's, you know, you, yeah. you lean more on the food than you would at a restaurant. But, you know, this is this is like the classic Top Chef mindfuck for the competitors, because if I had a food truck and I was sent out and trying to, like, do business, like actually make money, I would do a sandwich truck or a taco truck or a, I wouldn't do like a progressive progression of dishes yeah. like we did. But we knew that in this situation that everyone would be eating all three. And so there'd be a little, you know palates would get bored if we just did the same kind of thing, if we themed it the same way. I want to ask you about your dish, because first of all, explain to me the chemistry of why it is that a good vodka tomato sauce is like the best mm. tomato sauce ever. I'm thinking about Courtney's store here in Los Angeles at John and Vinny's, um, a restaurant I probably don't like as much as most people in Los Angeles do. But I will tell you, I will go there with a straw and a thermos for the tomato vodka sauce. And you did tomato, you did a little vodka in your, a dish I wish I could taste. Again, the only failing of Top Chef as a spectator event is at the end of the day, unlike Project Runway where you get to see the dresses, you don't get to see, you can't taste the food. You can only assume it's good. But yours got rave reviews. And I, I want to understand, what is it about vodka? Like, that, that's such an odd pairing, and yet every good vodka tomato sauce is just the best thing ever. Right. It, I mean, it's a very strange dish. The, like, how it works, I really have, I really don't know. The, so the whole idea, the whole premise to our food truck is that we wanted, it was hangover cure. So we wanted something a little sinful, something a little healthy, and then a little hair of the dog and everything. So mm -hmm. everything had, like, a little vegetable in it. You know, like, Joe had his kale. I was obviously heavy on the tomatoes. Uh, Fatima had strawberries, you know, so it was, there were those things. But the... I have no idea why the fuck vodka works in vodka tomato. <laughs> to me, it's more about like tomato, shallots, garlic, and cream. But if you do it without vodka, it just doesn't taste as good. 
I don't know what it is. It, 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 so know for the hangover is. purpose, it's kind of methadone in this particular dish. You're just kind of weaning people <laughs> from the previous night. Exactly. And the, the trick to my tomato soup is uh, I, I like doing smoked tomato soup, so I smoke half the tomatoes. Uh, half the tomatoes are fresh. It's, you know, typical. It's like a typical, very typical vodka cream sauce. But then I blend in kimchi. Hey, oh. It gives it like a real, like, Ooh. round funk. Ooh. That's good. Hey, let me ask you a quick, quick cooking question. I mean, I as well. I mean, I'm, you're this wonderful resource. I, we have you for like 40 minutes. Let's. Um, how do I light? Like, I think of smoking things like I have to go out and buy a green egg and like get really into it. But it seems like on Top Chef, there are people smoking things clearly like somebody smoked an egg within 20 minutes. And it's not like y'all had a right. pit there. Like if I wanted to be amateur smoker at home and smoke something briefly – like, how do I is, – is can that – like, a, could a normal intermediate home cook like myself do something like that? Yeah, what's a smoking hack? Yeah. yeah uh, you know, as, as somebody who's, like, just kind of getting into the barbecue business and, and learning a lot more about it, like, the more I do that, the less I believe in sort of ghetto smoking techniques. <laughs> so I would say – I would say that the green the apple, is, yeah. your, is your best bet, but if you have to do it fast, and you want to do it like inside, there's uh, something called the poly science smoking gun. And it's like this, I'm sure you've seen it used on top chef. It's like a, you know, it's like a marijuana smoking apparatus that was converted to a kitchen apparatus, so I could... which blows smoke and, and you cover it like with saran wrap and you can smoke anything. So I bowl. could just convert what I currently have essentially into a, a, a productive kitchen tool. Yeah. As long as it has batteries and it can suck the smoke through and, then you just sort of enclose it like in plastic wrap in a bowl or whatever and let it sit 10 minutes or however long you want to let it Yeah, I'm just always jealous of like like, – because, you know, again, it seems like if I want to smoke, i got to go get this big apparatus. It's like, no, 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 I, I see them on Top Chef. They smoke things with like – it's like, yeah, it's like the dorm, like with an apple. I mean, essentially, you just like create this smoker or something. But, um, that Kevin. Did, yes. Kevin, I know we didn't really talk about this in the past, but I know you are a closet freestyle punk rock music fan. Just like Tyler. Um, I mean, I, I think Tyler is much more. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 you know, I dabbled in bad brains and the cramps and like other, but I, I wasn't really a hardcore. I, I would, I would not characterize myself as. Well, such. I just felt bad for Tyler because he was on Top Chef and he said, "There's unfortunately not a market for freestyle punk rock music." But Pack Your Knives <laughs> is a very punk rock music friendly venue. Is, is there any sort of freestyle you want to get into? Who me? Yes. No, I'm not drunk enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know, I guess I never took, you know, I, I was kind of trying to say I never, like, really took that life seriously. Like, Bruce was in a real band, you know, like, Bruce Bruce played, Bruce opened for Meatloaf. You know, those guys, like, were musicians. I was just a jackass who yelled a lot on stage, you know. So I guess that's what I meant by freestyle. I was not a talented musician by any stretch. I was more <laughs> of a riot insider. Wait, so there was a there was another band of Phoenix, Kevin. Did you know that? I did not. I, I didn't. Yeah, he, he he was in the original Phoenix. I'm sure Bruce walks around and just says, "No, I was in the original Phoenix, not that <laughs> one, not that one that that goes to ultra shit." Um, Bruce actually Bruce actually has that tattooed on his chest. I was in the original <laughs> Phoenix. It's like LeBron, the chosen one, and Bruce has the original Phoenix written on it. Yes, from the ashes. 
<laughs> so the the um the elimination go- oh 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 any stories with hanging out with logan paul who i had no fucking idea who that yeah, was that, that, which that... shows my age 11 million followers i had no idea who that guy was yeah he seemed insufferable yeah, I mean, I don't... hello listener guess who's back it's me anthony mays your favorite butcher turned podcast producer and i'm here to talk to you about butcher box ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. ButcherBox takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. I don't really give a shit about Logan Paul, but it, it was like... Um my kids saw the preview to the episode and they're like, they're like, dad, did you meet Logan Paul? And I was like, who's Logan Paul? And they're like, the blonde <laughs> guy who was on the show. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that dude who like, so him and Tom, like they didn't show up, but him and Tom like jumped into our food truck and scared the shit out of me. Like I almost fell into my tomato soup. Uh, and that was kind of my only time meeting Logan Paul. So, you know, whatever, teach their own. He has a lot of followers. Good for him. Oh man, that was good. It was. It must have been like seeing like a uh, like a random animal in the wild, where it's like I don't understand that thing, and what is it doing? Like, why is it yeah, holding that selfie camera? And do I have to hang out with that guy? And what is this dab thing? <laughs> yeah, the, it was clearly taped like six months ago because that dab thing is over and dead with. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I remember dabbing. That was like a thing I'm- for a while. I'm shocked. I'm shocked it didn't stay with us. APAC Unives listeners, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy. With SeatGeek, SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets of every type of event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift this holiday season, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I just recently used it to buy tickets to Trevor Noah's uh, stand-up here in Charlotte. He's coming into town. So I went to SeatGeek. And it's great. 
It's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, with every purchase, it's fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code HEALTHY today. That's promo code HEALTHY, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Are you able to keep an eye on other teams? I guess in the food truck, certainly not. It's not like an open kitchen. You have no idea what's going on on the other three teams at this point, do you? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit of a jackass. So when I have time, I'm like going over to the other trucks, bothering them, saying hi. You know, I had, I was, I was preparing, I was making soup with croutons. So it's like, you know, my entire day was not spent, you know, developing that dish. It was a pretty simple one. So yeah, I was. I was checking other people out. Other people were having a lot more problems than us, so I was like, I was reveling in their misery a little bit. Yeah, the the, the Bruce truck kind of really uh, that that was sort of a shit show. That entire truck. Yeah, that that truck was really really tough, and it's uh, you know, and reveling in misery, you know, that was a joke. But it's like we were trying to help them out. We were trying to do whatever we could, let them use whatever on our truck, um, and then Tanya had. You know, she's trying to make waffles, and she has no electricity until, like, 20 minutes before the people get there. So, you know, it's tough. It's food truck, and it was, like, luck of the draw with, you know, ours worked really well. So, they, by the way, know, was, clearly the producers of the show, the fix was in. Not the fix in terms of who won, but they clearly sabotaged half of these trucks. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? I mean, that's that's. I mean, they have to. Their job is to create drama for people like Tom and me who are watching at home. Like, clearly they're going to kind of short circuit a, a, an oven or uh, I mean that was at least my interpretation maybe it's just that the industry standards for food trucks are really terrible and the uh, but I kind of got the sense that there was a little uh, yeah, a little, yeah a, little, a little thumb on the scale there this is Adam Silver walking into game one of the NBA finals and saying yeah I can't believe the air conditioning is not working properly today yeah. that would be a fun little twist you know as as a competitor like you know, and I okay. And as a competitor whose food truck was working perfectly, um, I'm gonna say that they they make they do everything they can to to give you the best possible environment to cook. Like I, there's no sabotage going on in my opinion. Um, Fine, but it's just it's it, but it's just you're you're out there in a truck that's like unproven. You know, it's a food truck. It's tough, and we we all have the opportunity. To, we all like drew to pick what truck we wanted first in what order and i'm pretty sure that yeah so we were all like we saw them all but the picks came i think we drew numbers as teams and then we got to pick you know first truck second truck third truck and i think i'm pretty sure i remember that bruce's truck was the first pick because it had that really nice convection oven so the assumption was that everything worked on the truck it was the sam Bowie of 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 of, of yeah trucks uh hey so there was what I found very interesting, I, I imagined it was funny because I thought of Tom uh, Haverstrow when I when when I noted this because I'm, I'm sure he was noting it too. Which is, there was an interesting wrinkle in the sense that before even a bite of food was consumed, 
that if your team could sell the most tickets, essentially create the menu that lured the most people, irrespective of whether the food was any good, you got immunity. And so I thought that was a really interesting play because it basically told mm. the team, like, look, if you can come up with a three really tantalizing dishes that, you know, Colorado Boulder students will like, like you can serve dog food and you're probably OK. Did that go in to uh, factoring anything into the menu or are you just like, you know, let the chips fall where they may? Yeah, I mean, it, it comes into it comes into play a little bit, but like I hate all that like people's choice bullshit. Like you know, when we're <laughs> there, there's, like, you're a you're a true elitist. I love you. This is great. It, you know, it's like it's a popularity contest. Like when you know when when even like local publications do like oh people's choice best new restaurant people's choice blah blah blah. You know, fuck that. Like leave it to the experts. You know, because uh. it's it's. It, it, it gets tainted and stupid and whatever, and it's not about the food. Um, so we weren't really focusing. So like we know we know the audience that we're shooting for, and we know what the what the parameters of the competition are, and we're certainly trying to abide by that. And we know that having Fatima, you know, pretty Fatima up there with a great personality is going to help like bring those tickets. Like you don't want me up there, um, or maybe you do. I don't know. It depends what neighborhood you're in. Uh, you know, so so we did make those considerations, but it didn't drive the idea. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I like the the play of the Hangover Cure THC. Kevin, did you pick that up? Uh, oh no, I I, I did I, I did not pick up. The, that's pretty the good. Acronym. No, I I did not. Um, hey, there are a couple innuendos. Joe's sticky icky chicken wings. Uh, yeah, which by the way looked yeah. fantastic. Uh, by the way, so baking soda was his kind of secret ingredient for texture. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a good trick we use. Oh, that's good. also it's great for blanching potatoes. So if you like, if you want to make like the crispiest potatoes ever, like you know patatas bravas or this like that, blanch them and put like a little bit of baking soda in your water when you're blanching your potatoes. Then cool them down, then fry them, and you'll have this amazingly crisp potato. Oh. Ooh. Speaking of potato, walk us through the, the winning dish, the potato dish that you had a couple of weeks ago. Sure. So I put some baking soda into some water. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so literally use that technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, and Joe was on my truck. And I'm going to share techniques with people on my team. And he shared techniques with me. And we go, you know, it's it, we, we want to win, you know, so we're helping each other out as much as we can. Um, so you want to hear the full dish there? Or? Yeah. Well, no, we well you're winning dish. You take a victory lap. Okay. Uh, I like cooking vegetables more than meat, honestly. And I like, uh, you know, I, I like cooking things like potatoes, like humble things, because I think they have they're more interesting. Um, if you could do them right, you could do more with them. So I wanted to highlight the potato. So the dish was highlighting the potato and doing something that I love. I smoked meat, highlighted the potato, and uh, it turned out good. Well, did you know um, how good it is to be the, the first Elimination Challenge winner? I know there was a little quip by you on the actual broadcast, but um, is that something that you guys talk about going into the first Elimination Challenge, is just how big uh, winning that one is? And why do you think that is? Um, t historically been a good predictor of overall success. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, I, I really didn't even know that the success rate was that high, that, the, you know, the first winner, you know, whatever, like had a good opportunity to win the thing. Um, 
my thing was to take it week by week. And, you know, like I said in the first episode, my fiance said, make it worth it. So to me, one of the main reasons I'm there is to get exposure, you know, and I know that the first episode has a higher viewership than any other episode. So to win that one was huge in that, in that context. And, you know, to come out, come out blazing. And I didn't really know that there was like, you know, that great an opportunity for the first winner to get to wherever. Um, right. To, I want to ask you about the exposure thing, because now in breaking that down, so, are we talking about exposure like more people in the greater Hartford area will come to your restaurant or when you approach financiers, when you want to take, uh, you know, the new place on the road because you want to open one in, I don't know, Washington or Philadelphia or wherever, it helps you secure financing. Like, like what are the tangible benefits of that, quote, you know, exposure? Both. And they work hand in hand. You know, the more people who come to my restaurants in Simsbury or Hartford, the more opportunity I have to seek financial growth. You know, the more like the the more desirable you are from a from an investment standpoint. So it's like, you know, it's 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 both. Uh, I mean, it's both. Yeah. Yeah, because you know it's interesting. I remember remember a contestant named Kelly Lichen, uh from Colorado. Coincidentally enough. Yeah, I know her. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, my family spends a bit of uh, – they escape the Atlanta heat and go to uh, the Vale Valley every summer. My mom kind of hangs out up there. And, you know, actually it's a relatively there, – there's are, there aren't enough good restaurants in that valley. And But uh, Kelly Lichen had one of them. And we always loved it. Uh, it wasn't a difficult table to get. I mean it would be crowded on July 4th weekend. But, but by and large you could get it. And I remember the year after – the summer after she finished fifth and I forget which season it was. It was just a different ball game. Like that place was just it used to be kind of a foodies uh, outpost like you knew about it and you went uh, right. not as popular as some of the old standards in Vail. But then all of a sudden that summer and frankly, I thought the quality went down at that point. Like that place was just mobbed every single night of the week <laughs> that summer. Uh, so, yeah, you know, she had a she had a potato encrusted rainbow trout that was like one of my absolute yeah, favorites. Yeah, I've had it. I love that yep. dish. I, if Kelly like it, if you're listening, I miss your potato. Like these little paper thin, almost, oh, it was like a paper mache of, of little potatoes over that rainbow trout. Anyway. But uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the financial question is interesting. And I, I always wondered if that was, obviously for the younger chefs, that was definitely an incentive to kind of get on the board. I was always wondering for you guys who are a little more established, and this answers that question. Yeah, they're yeah, in, I mean, in the Bachelor or the Bachelorette, they call it here for the right reasons, which is when a contestant or is trying to win the person's hand in marriage, and really they're not there to actually win the competition; they're there to be famous. And so, I guess that's the the dirty cousin of of this exposure question is like, are some chefs? there to actually win the competition in the most pure fashion or are they there just to be a clown on the on the tv show and just become <laughs> the biggest name i mean i i don't i don't want to be famous i don't give a shit about being famous i like to i like to cook and i like to run restaurants and i like to i, I like to make guests happy you know that's why i do this uh, but I, I i would have to say that i uh, personally, I did not do it to become famous, but I did it for exposure for the restaurants. And yes. quite honestly, and I that's a distinction. Yeah, I didn't really care about winning Top Chef. Honestly, like, yeah, you know, it'd be awesome to win one hundred and 
whatever it is, 125 grand would be, you know, that's a great thing and everything, but there's a little more value in it, in it than just that. So a lot more value in it than just that. There were, um, so the challenge goes on. It was a really stressful thing to watch because, again, I mean, my, I think it's it was the equivalent of kind of showing up naked to school, that bad dream everyone has. Like, it was like, oh, my For God, you. I've got to prepare something and the oven doesn't work. Like, I'm Tanya, as you said. Uh, and like, I'm making waffles and, you know, it, it is truly the, the nightmare version of all that. And um, so that, that Bruce's team has a really tough time. As he says, it's all asses and legs in the way because that those spaces are so small by the way they a food truck seems like an absolutely terrible place to prepare food um like i have greater appreciation for the food trucks and i live in food truck land in los angeles yeah me too i had i had before i did that like i was actually gonna buy a food truck for one of the restaurants and uh after that challenge i kind of put that idea on hold so so the sandwich truck doesn't end up doing well i don't know if it's a function of the bread or the sandwich but but Chris, who's made some good food, ends up serving a dry fish sandwich. Two does a bon me without all the kind of yummy accompaniments. And Adrian's uh, – by the way, Tom, were you as fascinated by this sandwich out of Harlem that, that, I, that I was, the chopped cheese? Yeah, so what – she just like dices up like the burger and then – what was the preparation there, Tyler? It's sort of like uh, – I mean it's a diced up burger, so it's like – you know, they have a hamburger taco in Mexico that is sort of the same thing. So basically you sear off ground beef and then you mix cheese into the beef. So it's like caramely. It's delicious. It's amazing. Yeah, I wanted that one real bad. <laughs> like this was this was like almost my ideal kind of nostalgic uh, elimination challenge only because I love hangover food. Um, and so this was just like this was just the perfect event for me because each one that came out, I was like, would I want that tomorrow morning? It's Friday. We're, we're taping this on a Friday and I'm back home in my hometown of Westport, Connecticut. Shout out to Connecticut. Um, and so the, the fish fry sandwich, no, I don't want a fish when I'm hungover. I don't want that. I don't want a salad. Yeah. Like- that, that was a salad. And poor, um, um, the corn salad that was uh, Rogelio's, I felt terrible for him, but I knew the minute he chose it. I'm like, ain't nobody want a corn salad when there's a chopped cheese or a tomato soup or a, you know, or, or a waffle there. and yeah. chicken over there. Like, like what do you – like, I, I just – sometimes the judgment – and he seems like a wonderful chef, but sometimes the judgment of the contestants. It's like the minute – I'm watching at home, and the minute he said, I'm going to do a corn salad, I said, you are toast. You are, and, you and are the thing so is- gone. If you do the salad, Kevin, right? If you do the salad, you got to fucking nail it. Like two did on the first quick fire where he did that corn dish. And I recognize it wasn't like a, a fratty event of uh, yeah, hangover I mean, food. I think mean, context is important, right? I mean, coming yes. out of the box at a quick fire versus an elimination food truck challenge that's basically de- geared towards, um, you know, drunk college kids. Um, Tyler, so if I'm going to do like, – here's my idea for a, a – tell me, help me out here. So if I wanted to do kind of a chopped cheese interpretation at home, I'm thinking I'm going to go get some really good sirloin ground, marinate it in a kalbi or bulgogi because I live in Los Angeles and that's something you do. Go get some good bri- – make a good brioche and like what cheese would I use with that, with a Korean marinade? Oh, I mean that's a tough one because you know in Korea you wouldn't use much cheese. Right. So they're not like – they don't get along, you know, some things don't get along there together. Like I want a super, I want something super melty. And I would probably, if I'm, if I'm, 
using the Korean sort of marinades, I want something pretty neutral, I think. Like, kind of maybe Fontina or something like that that's yeah. just going to, like, melt out quick and just be ooey-gooey. And um, caramelize those onions. I would do, I wouldn't do the I wouldn't do the bulgogi and cheese. I don't think. Okay. Uh, it's it, it's not like I would keep it pretty straight away. Okay. And also, you know, just real quick back to Rogelio's dish, and I'm not saying this, you know, just to come off like the guy who wants to be everybody's fucking friend on the show. Although, I, you know, they're all friends of mine. I don't necessarily want a corn salad when I'm hungover, but I sure as hell want Mexican street corn. Yes. See, that was, that's the, the thing. thing. Like, why yeah. not just go with the Mexican street corn with a cute little – like what's a little right. flourish you could have done to make it at least interesting? I mean you could do you could do a million things with that. You know, there, there's – Jose has said game. it's I mean, dying for, in, for vinegar was, was his Like comment. a dipping sauce or something? Yeah, you could. I mean – but, you know, then you think you, – this is back to this thing. You're like, it's Top Chef. I can't just like grill off pieces of corn, you know, and make like – super traditional Mexican street corn. So you overthink it and you make it easier to eat in a salad. And, you know, if the, if the preparation is done well and the acid is there and, and the temperatures are right, I think that could come off really, really delicious. Yeah. Did yeah. this feel like a mini restaurant wars? I mean, you don't have to get into whether Absolutely. you did West, restaurant wars or not, but like did you, when you were con, uh, conceiving this idea of the food truck and you're naming it and who's going to be the front of house and what is what is going to be the theme of the menu, um, that seemed like a mini restaurant wars to me watching at home. 100%. It was like minor league restaurant wars. Um, yeah. So, and then ultimately the down the chin folks won the popularity contest with their kind of cheese inside the burger from Carrie, who's by the way picked up some confidence. I'm very happy. I like Carrie, and I, I was happy to see her win the previous week and and uh, and do well. Joe Flam, who was my sleeper pick, and obviously Tyler, you know the outcome, and we're not going to ask you to even tip your hand there. But um, I even loved his din, you know, his Denver Panzanella. I thought was a brilliant idea. I don't know that it was any good with that challah toast. Ooh. That challah bread that was that was wonderful, and then uh, you know Tanya did her chicken and waffles, which you know given when she comes from Brown Sugar Kitchen is just is a slam dunk for her, and I'm sure it was wonderful, and they said as much. And uh, but but you guys you guys won, and like Fatima, by the way, rose water and pistachio, like mm. Fatima does something every single week that just warms my heart. Like I love that kind of Near Eastern pistachio rose water. Like, like that's how I like my desserts, um, which yeah, my my, yep. my boyfriend finds ridiculous because he's a a chocolate molten lava guy. Like, give me all that. <laughs> but I love like a Middle Eastern. I, I I I I'm excited. I hope I get a chance to eat Fatima's food sometime in the near future. I don't know where she's going to end up, or uh, um, though I suspect she'll be a very good chef for a very long time because I just I yep. love everything she's doing. I just love everything. She's yeah, doing. and it's like the key to those. The key to those like the food the flavor she uses is that you know rose water can go can be terrible in the wrong hands awful it can ruin a dish you know but she's like so good at what she does that the balance of her flavors are amazing you know so she she not she doesn't just dabble in that world she's like she's one of the best i've ever like her food is some of the best like middle eastern style food i've ever had i'm gonna ask you a difficult question um Sure. And I beg your pardon. You're the president of the United States. Mm. You get to select from your fellow contestants of season 15 your executive chef for the White House. So that's the person who's basically going to cook for you every day. They're going to every state dinner, every time you have a guest over. This is your White House chef. 
and you get to choose. I'm asking who's the just who the best chef is or anything else, but like who for four years is going to be essentially your personal and, and professional chef? Wow, great question. That is. Am I, I so I'm myself, I'm not Donald Trump. No, you're not Donald Trump. You are <laughs> you're, you're, you're a vast upgrade on, on Donald Trump. Um So I have a palate. Um <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, you're not you're not making well done steak. By the way, of all the offensive things about the current occupant of the White House, the fact that he eats his steak well done is like almost as offensive to me as various norms that have been broken and eliminated. Like like the well done steak is a mark of just a rube, in my opinion. No disrespect to our impeach, listeners. Help. Impeach him for that. I, that that to me is grounds enough. You know, and the and like. I'm, I'm sure you don't want to get into a big political discussion on the show, but people say it's just food. It's just food. The guy went to Japan and didn't eat a traditional J- Japanese dinner with the, is it the prime minister of Japan? I don't know. Yeah. Um, he, he instead like chose, you know, to eat well done Wagyu beef, which just, Ugh. you know, that's just not relating to another culture in like the most basic of ways in a culture that takes their cuisine so, so, so seriously. Like, you know, it's embarrassing for Americans. Oh, and, you know, I mean, again, I mean, it's not like Shinzo Abe has, doesn't have access to the greatest chefs in Japan. By the way, like, what a great place to go eat. Right. But, um, all right, so, yeah, this is, this is the question. I mean, who is... Oh, gosh. I would say, you know, and it, this is going to just seem like a homer, but I'd probably say Bruce. Um, he's, he cooks like... He cooks very comfortable, delicious food that you just want to eat all the time. I would probably go into the White House at my current 250, and I'd leave the White House at about 350. Uh, <laughs> but he's really well-versed. Plus, he knows everybody. You know, he'd have all kinds of guest chefs coming into the White House to cook for me. You know, and so it'd probably be Bruce. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we, we went to Bruce's restaurant last week. Uh, actually, this a few days ago. A few days um, ago. We'll probably we'll probably do something a little bit later in the in the show. Uh, pack your knives, maybe a later episode. But um, yeah, what a meal! We were knocked out by the, to to the point of you gaining a hundred pounds going to three fifty. Kevin and I, we were sideways about after the third pasta dish. We oh, couldn't move. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it's not light food. I've never eaten at his restaurant. I I really really want to, but I actually ate at his house this Thanksgiving. Uh, and the food there was phenomenal. All right, give me give me the Thanksgiving spread at Bruce's place. So it was Bruce and then a couple other chefs. So my my father is sick. You know, I live out here. My father's sick, so he was uh, he's he's in he was in ICU at UCLA. So my my mother and my sister and me were stuck in a hospital room for you know like five days or something. And it was Thanksgiving, and Bruce happened to live like three miles down the street or four miles down the street. So Bruce inv- was kind enough to invite us over for Thanksgiving. So it was Bruce and a couple chefs, like, just throwing down. So it was like, it was, uh, Bruce smoked the turkey, um, and he smoked it, like, the entire way through. So, you know, a lot of people would, like, put smoke on it for an hour. But, no, Bruce, like, did a, like, seven-hour smoked turkey. It just turned out unbelievable. You know, there were, like, roast vegetable salads. There were Parker House rolls that he made from scratch. There was incredible stuffing. It was it was traditional but inspired and in in true Bruce fashion, just like delicious, deliciously comfortable. That yeah. sounds awesome. It it reminds me of a question of like when you guys go home and you're just totally uh, 
totally slammed, just done from the competition. Who like raises their hand to cook in the Top Chef house? How does that work? Is there like a rotation of, hey guys, it's Tuesday, so that means Joe's the Joes are up to to cook. Like, how does that work? Would you guys just make like spaghettios and cereal? No, we were cooking. Um, it would so we every morning we could write down on like a like a little whiteboard like what we wanted brought from the grocery store to the house. Um, and we would plan meals. So, like, the prep would happen the night before we were going to eat so we could have something that was, like, pretty easy to get to and, and fast. Um, huh. So when we, when we came home, we weren't, we weren't, like, creating a meal from scratch. We were just, you know, heating up something that had already been started. Uh. I mean, it's 15 great chefs in a house. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's not that tough to, like, you know, menu plan this thing and, and get that food going. Actually, you know what's funny is – that should be one of the challenges or next next season, Tom, is like, you know, Padma and, and Tom just kind of wander in to the Top Chef house. I mean, it's like, that's, uh, I mean, living with 14 other amazing chefs, that seems like a really interesting um, house. Hey, I, 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 I want to, uh, I wanted to ask you, this is a question I love asking really good chefs. So Julia Child, your, your, your uh, inspiration, obviously uh, known as being a huge fan of the McDonald's French fry. You know, just she always felt like it was kind of a perfect food and just, uh, spoken about it uh, in her lifetime. And uh, I think James Beard was another McDonald's French fry person. Do you have like when you're like, let me ask you, if, I, if you were going to do a 500 mile road trip uh, on a given day from Simsbury off to like Cleveland or somewhere, uh, basically the restaurants available to you are those that you would find at American rest stops, et cetera. Like what's your favorite just kind of guilty crappy fast food food huh um like are you a waffle house guy i don't know how much time you spend in the south but like is that is that something that speaks to your soul i've never been to a waffle house Mm, that's a southeastern yeah 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 i would say like i'm a taco truck guy like you know that's no 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 no, no, no. i I need need mass processed Food. You want skunky funky? Huh? Yeah. Like, you know what I love? I, I love Chilitos, the Chilito from Taco Bell. Oh, what is the Chilito? Okay. Talk I to despise, me about that. I despise the entire rest of the menu at Taco Bell, but there's this thing called the Chilito that is like <laughs> this thing that should be outlawed. It's a disgusting idea. My fiance is cringing just hearing me talk about it on the radio or on the show, but it's like I don't know, like chili and beef. They're shitty beef mixed together with cheese. It's kind of like a chopped beef just wrapped up really tight in a tortilla to the point where you have to, you know, be very careful eating it because the tortilla might burst. Okay, but it's I'm actually re- pretty damn good. All right, I'm reading it right now. Um, Taco Bell new chili cheese burrito. The secret um, menu. It's a secret menu. Yeah, it, it's, it's an old school Taco Bell. Bell item that's not on the menu anymore, but if you ask for it, they'll do it for you. Well, um, what I'm hearing, seeing here is I'm on change.org. There is a petition says Taco Bell needs to bring back the chili cheese burrito, in parentheses, Chilito. There is really? a Facebook group titled, <laughs> uh, you know, let's see, there's a Facebook uh, group titled Taco Bell Bring Back the Chilito. So there apparently are, there, there's oh, an army of you. <laughs> wait, wait, guys. On Snopes.com, there is a thread about Chilitos because – do you know what Chilito means in Spanish? Little chili, right? Yeah, but it's a slang for little penis. Oh. Yeah. So, 
things, many, many things in Spanish are slangs for little penis. <laughs> so this I thing, got 84 words for little penis. It's like in Spanish. Yiddish, they're like 45 words for being an asshole. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it says, uh, I even saw it covered by a Hispanic comedian once, I believe on the Latin Kings of Comedy, the comedian said that he used to work the drive through and whenever someone ordered a Cholito, he would say, drive around, I'll give you a Cholito. That's great. That's actually what I meant by it. That's why I don't <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's so good. And, and of course, there's the double-double animal style. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, but uh, that's more than 500 miles from me, so that's why I didn't say it. You know where I went last night? Uh, or not last week. Last week, Tyler's. I had I just moved back to uh, Echo Park, um, a place I lived for many years, and... Um, yeah. We're near one of the original Tommies, and I don't know where you are on the original Tommies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I had yeah. a triple chili Amazing. burger, and it was fantastic. And I normally don't eat that way; I just I just have to watch it. But I was I was stress eating, and it was so good. Yeah, that place is dope. Oh god, Los Angeles is a sneaky good burger town, and uh, people don't know. It's that. not a sneaky good burger town for such a healthy eating population. It is amazing how many burger places there are there. Like yeah. burgers are, burgers and donuts are are so great there, and and they're all over the fucking place. Like more than anywhere. All I have out here, my options are Dunkin' Donuts, and pretty much that's it. And that's total dog shit. Yeah, I go can, back can, home. And this it's is like gonna I upset Tom. Apple fritter. Can, yeah. can we call bullshit on? I, I mean, I, Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, as mass-produced coffee goes, I do think it's decent. But like yeah. having grown up in the South and then, you know, with Krispy Kreme and then gone out to the to Los Angeles, which is a donut just culture. Um, I'm just I don't get the Northeastern like all things that kind of get popularized in Boston. It's not it's not that good other than the pictures. All right, well, first of all, no one goes to Dunkin Donuts gets donuts. I'm sorry. I don't it's go to Dunkin. It's all about the coffee. And if you're going to go recently in the last five, ten years, you can go and get a breakfast sandwich. I, I, I can't remember the last time I actually went to Dunkin' Donuts and got a donut. Well, that's good to hear because I actually have people from New England trying to tell me that it's a better product than Krispy Kreme. And I'm just like, would you, you're not you're just not even you have no credibility as a human being. Now, if someone shows up to the <laughs> office party with a bunch of donut holes. The donuts, like okay, now we're talking. But because uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm officially out on donuts. I'm not a big donut fan. But if if I need a bite sized donut, I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. But in terms of, like, like please do not put Dunkin' Donuts on the list of staple Connecticut food, like say the white clam pizza or anything like that. Yeah, my favorite donut oh, is Ari Taymor out here uh, of Alma does a uh, green tea matcha donut for his brunch that I just. I mean, I think about all the time, but uh, uh, Ari might be a guest on this show at some point. Tyler, are there are there like what are three Connecticut foods that when someone's like, wow, you cook in Connecticut, you you have two restaurants there. Like what is Connecticut known for? Like, what do you what do you say to them? Well, I mean, you just named one. It's New Haven pizza is unbelievably delicious. And the white clam at Pepe's. And you have to go to the original Pepe's because something about the oven, the water and the dough, whatever. Uh, is unbelievable. I love Abbott's Landing lobster rolls. Like, I love lobster mm. rolls. Like it, But it has to be, like, the lobster has to be super fresh, and it has to be, like, just steamed right before you're eating it. And then just a lobster roll and butter has become one of my favorites. And uh, it don't, I don't want the mayonnaise lobster roll. Just give me the butter no, lobster roll. No, butter. Butter in a bun, that's it. Griddled bun and butter. Um, and, you know, like... 
I mean, those are the two things I really think about when I'm thinking Connecticut food. There are, there are honestly a ton of chefs here that are doing amazing things. You live in Westport. I'm sure you've been to Bill Tabe's restaurant. He's a good friend of mine. He, his restaurants are amazing. You know, there are people doing all kinds of things here. So it's, you know, it's actually not as bad as its reputation. Yeah. So, we got to wrap this up. Ken. Yeah, we got we, we, we to get we got to get uh, we could Tyler go for days with Tyler. Um, He's been fantastic. Sir, you've been so generous with your time. I, I want to say that um, I, I God, I love my meal the other night um, that you uh, at, at your restaurant and that good. I'm glad you like oh, the pastrami. You know, it's funny. You always eat pastrami sliced and you forget like there's a certain substance to it when it's like served that way. Kind of like a, a true cut. It was so lovely. Um and uh, you're a gentleman to come on and, and, and educate us on the, on the workings of the show, and uh, we loved hearing from you. Well, thank you for having me, guys. Anytime. All right, Tom, you'll update our standings on the, on the Pack Your Knives. Uh, where, where can they find the standings? Uh, LeverageTheChat.com or pack, your ni- or pack Knives on Twitter. There's also a Pack Your Knives Instagram feed that I just started up the other day. Um, if you're not following that already, Go hit us up at Pack Your Knives Instagram. We'll, we're just going to post the standings there on Leverage to Chat on the Twitter feed, Instagram feed. We're not quite on Facebook yet, but um, I think this was a good week for you, Kevin, because um, I lost a couple people on my on my team. Like uh, Rahelio went out, and then Claudette is still in the Last Chance Kitchen, it seems like. So she's still in the rotation. But Laura, I think had a had a tough had a tough day. So. I'm sad for that. But um, the standings and all that fun stuff will be on our social media feeds. And Tyler, thank you for winning the first elimination challenge. And I love that coin flip that gave me the number one pick. Tyler, <laughs> thank you so much for Thanks, for guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care. All right. All right. Bye-bye.